This is Iron Sports 95.9106.9. We're honored to have one of the top baseball authors alive, Kostya Kennedy. Uh, he just wrote a book called True on Jackie Robinson. Uh, Kostya, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Great being on with you, Ira. So I was, I was thinking, how am I going to start this interview? And I, the question would be, you know, just go right into Jackie Robinson. But there's still a lot of my listeners that are younger who might not really like Jackie Robinson. Like, what was Jackie? So tell me what the significance of Jackie Robinson's integration of baseball. Like, what is just a little bit in general about Jackie Robinson and why he is, you know, the seminal that people who are over the age of like 30, you know, re- revere. But maybe some of these young, my younger listeners might not really know so much about him. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good, great place to start. I, I mean, I think that, look, obviously the headline, he was the first uh, African-American to play in the all-white major leagues, um, and that happened in 1947. Um, but w- w- at that time, to think about what that meant, <clears throat> at, at that time, the the size and platform of baseball was so tremendous. It was so much bigger than any sport, including the NFL, really has today. It was basically the only game in town. And it and it reached outside of the sport into other parts of society. And much of America, of course, at that time was not integrated, right? There were huge parts of America, including Florida, where you could not, uh, you know, blacks and whites couldn't even drink from the same water fountain, couldn't go to the same restaurants, couldn't do anything together. So the idea that he was playing in this milieu was itself just a remarkable thing. And the other second half of that, which is almost equally important, if he had just done that, would have been remarkable in itself. But the way he, he took that mission, the way he played, not only that he was a good player, he was at his peak years the best player in baseball in 1949 and had several other years where he was among the top three to five best players in the game. Uh, and to do it with a, a level of, of determination, grace, uh, athletic skill and, uh, you know, strong temperament. There, there are a few people who have, have succeeded on that level in the history of our country. And it's a big reason why somebody like Martin Luther King, who was only 18 years old when Jackie Robinson came in, talked about the debt that he felt he owed Jackie Robinson uh, for what he had done. Yeah, we, we had... Um, John Shea, who had a book about Willie Mays, working with Willie Mays on there. We've had an author who wrote a book on Oscar Charleston uh, from the Black mm-hmm. Leagues, who's one of, considered one of the greatest baseball players of all time. And it's just, I think it was like the idea that when Jack, you made, you hit the nail on the head, that we look at football today as the sport. But in baseball those days, it, it was like, there was no other sport. There was horse racing, there was boxing, and then there's baseball, right. and there wasn't anything really else to capture, and everybody followed baseball. And in baseball, you're right, baseball back then was bigger than football is now, which is almost impossible for anyone to believe. Yeah, no, but there's no question that it was. And it was also, uh, you know, it was a time of more streamlined media, right? So you had people were just beginning to watch things on TV uh, at the start of of Robinson's career, a little more towards the end. So he would come out of the radio and and baseball was the only sport. I mean, even to this day, baseball is the best radio sport, right? And so in that time, it really lent itself. And you'd hear baseball games across the country. um, and, And in terms of its, you know, the president, and of course, throughout the first ball, they there were all kinds of veterans events and stuff associated around baseball because of the significance that it had, and because of its its sort of reach to all areas of society. Even though the major leagues at that point weren't even out on the West Coast, 
there was still you would have the leagues, the Pacific Coast League, for example, which were still getting huge crowds, and baseball had a huge following um, and and so much love for baseball, even in places where they didn't have major league towns. And back in those times, in the '40s, the black leagues were extremely popular, extremely successful with these great players. And it is interesting. And the question everyone has, and you, you touch it on in your book, is why was Jackie Robinson the one chosen? It wasn't Jackie Robinson chosen, then other people. I mean, he was picked by Branch Rickey to be that first player, but there were other candidates who he actually could have chosen. Jackie Robinson, who was a star running back or star football player at UCLA, great athlete, the success at, at, in the black leagues. But at, and then he came to the major leagues and older. He wasn't a 19 or 20-year-old. He was in his late 20s when he actually went into the major leagues. Yeah, it was a very careful um, decision, and, and certainly there, there are any number of uh, black players who, who could have succeeded and who did, of course, succeed afterwards. But it, but it was awfully tough to be the first. Um, and if there are other, you know, other players such as, say, Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige, Monty Irvin, those are three of the guys who are most often thought about who maybe accomplished even a little more in their, in their careers. Um, Josh Gibson was the great home run hitter. There was a lot of things that went into the selection and the – you know, of Jackie Robinson and Robinson seizing the opportunity. Part of it was that, as you mentioned, he played sports in college as a, as a running back and also lettered in basketball and track. Um, and he was around white players uh, quite a bit. He had a very, real familiarity with, with being in a milieu of predominantly white, if not all white, uh, teammates. He was actually pretty raw as a player, but one thing that he had, he'd only played about 45 games in, in, uh, for the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro Leagues, and he hadn't played, he only played a year at UCLA, but he had tremendous speed and instinct on the bases. And that was a really key point, to have the guy come in who, he, Jackie Robinson was such a dynamic player. If you came in and you were a baseball fan or you were coming to your first game, he was the guy you wanted to watch. And not because he was a black player or a white player or anything. He was the most exciting player on the field. And that's something that even a guy as great as Josh Gibson, who could have certainly been a dominant home run hitter in the major leagues, you don't bring that every day as a home run hitter. It's not necessarily that excitement unless you're so off the charts like a, like a Babe Ruth. It, it's hard to bring that every day. So um, that was a big part also of why he was chosen. We just had Mother's Day, and we, it would be remiss not to mention you, it had a number of interviews with her, but Rachel Robinson, his wife, um, who was with Jackie from the beginning and went through everything in her, on her own merit. She was a professor at Yale. She was uh, ran a nursing at, a, at the Connecticut Hospital. So, and then after his, after his passing, just you know, led the, uh, in terms of the memorials for, for him and to carry on the legacy of Jackie Robinson and all the things that he was doing good for the country and society. Um, but talk a little about Rachel's impact on Jackie's life and, and, and the struggle he had. Yeah, you, I mean, you articulated really well, Ira, what, what she did um, at the time and afterwards. So she, she'll be 100 this summer. She's still with us. Uh, Robinson died in 1972, so she's living 50 years without him. That's, uh, that, that's a long time. Um, and she was, she was, as you mentioned, she was very intelligent, and she had uh, education was really important. She had a nursing degree. When Robinson was getting the opportunity, when they were in his career, she was there for him. She didn't... She didn't pursue her own career at that time. She recognized how big the opportunity was for them, and she was such a stabilizing force in his life. Uh, he was a very emotional guy. She was much calmer and soothing, uh, and she was there in such a strong and important way for him. It was after his playing career that she went back in and she began to work in public health. As you mentioned, she had a job at Yale um, and really was, was a remarkable figure, and it's not an overstatement to say that Jackie would not have succeeded 
succeeded in the way he did without Rachel. Uh, and that goes from the very beginning. The first year I look at in my book is actually 1946, the year before breaking into the major leagues when Robinson is the only black player in the uh, international league, the top minor league, uh, playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers top team. And it was just him and Rachel uh, together with with uh, in an absolutely unprecedented environment. Uh, and, and she was critical to, to what he was able to do. And then I just mentioned Branch Rickey a little bit. I was in the book, you noted that he was the one of the, it was just a uh, forerunner and a lot of things. He was the one first GM to actually use scouting. He put on base percentage over batting average. He started the idea about platooning. And of course, some people might not like the shift. He, he started inventing that. But he was, he was convinced that you had to integrate baseball. He, he had followed the black leagues and knew how great these players were and saw them compete. We know there were a lot of competitions, exhibition games, and he thought that the time was now. So a little about why, about Branch Rickey in terms of his just soul focus and saying we are going the Dodgers are going to bring in an African-American player yeah I mean and and on so many levels and it wasn't just an African-American player he knew that these were talent a talent pool that he wanted to to tap and so not only was Robinson the first but the Dodgers consistently brought in um, African-American players in the year that followed guys like Don Newcomb and Roy Campanella and Joe Black and Jim Gilliam and and others Um, and it's part of what made them such a great team over those years, but they made they, they made uh, six World Series in ten years. Robinson was, I mean, Ricky was very principled. He was a Methodist and believed it was immoral to keep uh, for segregation and to keep black players out of the major leagues. He was also a businessman and knew that this was an opportunity to bring new people to the stadium. And he was also first and foremost a baseball man who knew that there was all this great great talent. Uh, not being allowed to play for his team, and he just wasn't going to stand for it. So when he was outvoted 15 to one uh, in the question of uh, by by the other baseball owners on the question of integrating baseball, he just said, "Well, I'm going to do it anyway," and and that's what he did. And then you really go into some detail in the book about his time in Montreal, and that was probably a great starting point for him. Not in America, sort of different. It was a French city, um, just a different place. And, and how, but how the fans just embraced Jackie and Rachel and, and just enjoyed it in that whole year. And you, you wrote in the book that people still, like years, 30, 40 years later, 50 years after the fact, really, uh, 60 years, talk about those times when, when, when Jackie was there and living in Montreal uh, and working for, it was the Montreal, I forget their last name of the, of the team. And they won the Little League, they won the International World Series that year too yeah the montreal royals and and it leaves such a just today getting a text from people who come across the book and and remember the legacy of that or in some cases remember um people in the older generation remember seeing him and i was i was fortunate enough to speak to several people who had seen robinson play who had gone to the royals it was a big deal in those days uh i spoke to people both in the black community and in the white community uh who who remember him playing there it it was a, a really special environment you know there wasn't the black-white divide in Canada, that there was certainly racism and it wasn't uh, equal footing, but it had nothing like the the, the sort of uh, harshness and the, and the strength of divide that there was in from in much of the United States. The tension in the United, in in Canada was much more, and certainly in Montreal, on sort of French English divide, religious divide. So Robinson was able to have a place where he could play and be generally supported. The crowd loved him there. Um, and so did his his neighbors. Um, they lived in a French-speaking 
neighborhood, uh, Caucasian French-speaking neighborhood, and they did not speak French, Rachel and, and uh, Jackie. So it was a time for them to just sort of get acclimated to this life of being an enormous celebrity and having a lot on his shoulders, uh, but also in a, in a generally friendly environment. And also, they it didn't rush him up. You mentioned in the book that he could have been uh, moved up to the Dodgers into 46, but they waited because they, they, the other branch rookie thought it was better to have a full year under his belt before they came up to the majors. Because when he came up, you know, he didn't, didn't want to fail, but he actually was the rookie of the year in 47. And by 49, he was the MVP and he was the best player in baseball and those things. And I think that his success was really important, but also, you know, he's a great player, worked hard and was able to make it successful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he, there was no. We, we tend to think of history, you know, not just in this case, but in general, there's some the ring of inevitability to it. Like it happened that way, so it had to happen that way. Well, it didn't. There, there was any op, any number of opportunities for Robinson to to fail or to get hurt. Uh, nobody was hit with a pitch more than Robinson was during his first two years in the majors. He was spiked on the bases. He was he was also just playing more baseball and more more regularly than he ever had in his life. His body was taking a toll. Uh, so he could have gotten hurt. He could have not done as well as as uh, people thought he would have. Um, but he did. He he absolutely he absolutely met the the task in every in every sense. And then you mentioned in the books, you go through about it, the cities, even in St. Louis, I was surprised where, like, he would not stay with the team. He wasn't permitted to stay with the team at the hotels. I was surprised that the Dodgers wouldn't move to a hotel where everybody could stay at. But it was like, here, here he is, the most popular player on the team, the one everyone's going to watch, who's the MVP of the game, and he can't stay at the same hotel or at the same restaurants as the rest of his teammates, which seems ridiculous. No, it's, it's an awful thing. And, and, you know, listen, for the most part, for the overwhelming most part, the Dodger uh, Dodger teammates, and especially after the very, very beginning, were completely supportive um, and, and behind Jackie and, and embraced his, his mission. That said, they would get to St. Louis, and Robinson, or later, if, you know, Newcomb or Campanello is up, they'd be on the bus with the same team that they've been traveling with and winning games with and in the locker room with, and the bus would stop uh, in one part of town, and the black players would get off the bus and go to their hotel, and then the bus would drive away to the uh, Chase Hotel where the rest of the team stayed, and the teammates just stayed on the bus and watched them leave, you know, and it, it, it's something that really stayed with, with uh, like Don Newcomb would talk about it quite a bit, um, and, and Robinson certainly he couldn't miss it. He noticed what was happening, uh, and, and those, those events happened. It was finally, it was Robinson who integrated the Chase Hotel, who, who worked on them, the meeting management there, and said, listen, I'm going to stay. We want to stay here, and, uh, and he came and stayed there, and, and eventually, uh, obviously, uh, that opened the door to other African-Americans staying at that hotel and then staying at hotels throughout that city as, as well as many others, of course. And you mentioned in the book in those times, I mean, it's a shame that he did come home when he was older, so he didn't have the longest, he had a, what, a nine-year career, not a longer career in terms of his uh, overall like overall being able to make an impact because he just you know came in as a, at a later age. But at, for a good four or five-year period of time, he was the best player in baseball and the most, you say, the most famous person in the world. Uh, he was incredible. He's certainly the most famous athlete in the world, without without question. I mean, um, you know, Joe Lewis was a really well known athlete too. Uh, but among among athletes at that time, um, there was you know he was just so so well known and followed, and what he did was was chronicled. You, know, you talk about his career. So ten seasons, the first two were very good. He wins Rookie of the Year. Then he has another very strong season after that. And then you go about forty nine to about nineteen fifty four, um, where he just really has. You know, four or five 
about five great, great seasons, Hall of Fame caliber, statistic, everything um, type of seasons. And then he, in the back end, he has kind of a poor season in 55, rebounds have a very strong season in 1956 as well. So he, he it was a short career. You know, as you said earlier, he came up uh, because of segregation and because of the um, because of the war, he didn't get a start until 28 in the, in the major league. Uh, so his time was short, but he certainly made the most of it. And then you mentioned, you know, the Dodgers and the Yankees, and it was sort of probably painful because the Yankees, I was surprised they didn't integrate till six years after the Giants and the Dodgers did, which didn't now, which is, you know, just surprising in terms of the Yankees and their failure to integrate. But the point is, uh, that they kept losing. The Dodgers kept losing. It was almost like the Lakers and the Celtics. They kept losing to the Yankees in the World Series. They won in 55, but Robinson didn't even play in Game 7. He was on the bench for that game and then came back in Game, and then they played in, in Game you know, 56 when they lost in seven games. Yeah, so that was the, you know, people, it's it's almost like the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl or something like that in those years. You know, they the Dodgers made the World Series six times in ten years, and the fact that they were most often beaten by the Yankees is not, you know, it's not some great shame. They 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 didn't win the final series. A couple, a few of them went to Game 7. Uh, they, the Dodgers were a great, great team in that era. In 1955, um, that was Robinson's worst season, and he was didn't wasn't getting along great with the manager, Walt Alton. And in Game 7 of that 55 World Series, it's the only game that Robinson did not play in, the only World Series game that Robinson did not play in in his entire career. Um, Austin decided to play Don Hoke at third base. I don't think Robinson ever forgave him for that. Even though he wasn't at his great, at his best, Robinson, that was the series where he stole home. Um, he was still a useful player, and it's not as if Don Hoke was, you know, Pie trainer, he was he was a good solid player, but uh, Robinson wished he could have played that game. And I think it was part of what the sort of chip on his shoulder that Robinson had to come back in '56 and have really a very very good season, not quite a peak Hall of Fame type season, but a, but a very strong season, um, and then you know excel in that year's World Series in '56. Oh, and you mentioned in '56 in, in Game Six, he had the game winning hit in the tenth inning, and they got in Game Seven. They have Don Newcomb, who was the National League MVP on the mound. You think, okay, the Dodgers are going to win and then he they lose nine nothing in his final game and uh and then he went on a tour he said to japan and then just quickly re- decided to retire for you know, people were pretty surprised that oh, he was traded actually the dodgers the mali traded him to the giants but he had already decided that he was going to retire from the game yeah so his his season ended as you said his last hit in that game six um was, was the final hit uh, game winning hit in the 10th inning and the final hit of robinson's career and he he knew at that time, Ira, that his body was was wearing out, that he wasn't going to be able to come back. Um, and and I will say that later on, he never once looked back and expressed, "Oh, I wish I'd stayed and played a little longer, uh, squeezed a little more out of it." Um, he he was ready to ready to go on. He got a, a job offer. He'd been looking around for a while for ways to for something he could do after baseball. He got a job offer from Chock Full of Nuts, um, which paid him just exactly the same as what he was making at the Dodgers. Um, he also had an opportunity to do some work for the NAACP, so it was a chance for him to get involved in the movement a little more directly. And so he'd made that decision to go there, and it was only after he'd made that decision but had not yet announced it that he was traded to the Giants, and then he ended up never never reporting to the Giants and just going to his, his job in New York City as a VP of uh, – of a corporation. 
And then you mentioned almost for uh, 15 years, he stayed out of baseball. He didn't go into baseball. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't, a, wasn't involved in anything. And, but he, it was a, a, a mission of his, really, even in 72, when he first went, went back in. He says, look, I want to see African-American managers. I want to see African-American coaches. It's important. But he spent those 15 years, as you said, in being working, but also advanced. He was on the boards of the NAACP. He gave, I couldn't believe how many speeches he was giving. And he wrote newspaper columns. And he worked with Martin Luther King. And he really advocated for racial relations in the country. Yes, he did. So that was a big part of what he did in those years. You know, when he initially left the game, he was kind of hoping he might get an opportunity to coach or manage, but that didn't come. And as time went on, uh, two things. He he saw that a lot, there weren't there wasn't much advancement for blacks in in Major League Baseball at all. Um, and then he also, at one point, he said, you know, he felt lucky that he hadn't stayed in baseball because it allowed him to do all these different things. And he was very active. He worked with Dr. King. Uh, specifically, he had one project rebuilding some burned churches in Georgia. He led, uh, Robinson led the delegate from Connecticut to the dream speech in Washington, D.C., and then spoke with Martin Luther King on the dais right before the speech. Uh, he, as he said, he had his columns. He was very public in, in his uh, opinions, but he also worked, you know, sort of on the ground. He was really interested in economic empowerment, so they started an all-black an all-black uh, bank in uh, Harlem, the Freedom National Bank. He started a low-income housing construction company. He was just in, super involved, um, and and he finally got back into baseball in that last year of his life in 1972, and that led him to some appearances at Dodger Stadium that were really pretty moving, and as well as uh, that appearance in the World Series uh, just nine days before he died. And then you talked about the his funeral and how Jesse Jackson did the eulogy, but the amount of every... I mean, every star athlete you could have mentioned in that book that was alive at the time was there at this funeral. It was politicians and athletes and everything at that at the untimely funeral. You know, it's interesting because that's absolutely true. The, there was there was a sort of a who's who of people in, in the public arena who were there. But it gets back to a little bit about what we said in the beginning of uh, talking about the younger people who may not know that much about Robinson or may not have appreciated him as much. At that funeral, uh, Hank Aaron was there, and, and Aaron had overlapped with um, Robinson, so he was younger than Robinson, of course, but they overlapped by a couple of years in the end. And he made a comment that, you know, basically all, uh, uh, there were many players there from Robinson's time, but he was surprised at how few of the young players had come. And I think even then it was a little bit of a disappointment that maybe were people forgetting already in, in the early 70s what Robinson and other people had gone through just recently, you know, 20 years before and less and less, uh, to get to get uh, baseball where it was. Um, so so there was that aspect to it. But he, you know, it was an incredible funeral that, um, you know, thousands attended. And, and sort of it was one of those things where the nation stood still for a minute and sort of uh, held its collective breath and, and, and recognized what Robinson had done and been. Well, Kostya, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, your book, True. I know it's doing really, really well. I've had two other seminal books. of one book of the year wrote a book on 56 on Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak and also on Pete Rose. So that have had such an impact. And I think this True book is going to have that same impact as those other two books. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm very, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And it's great to be on with you after some time. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate your good words. Thank you so much, Kostya, for coming on Iron Sports. I appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure.